Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum, and today we officially have regular season hockey to talk about. I know we kind of did last episode when we were previewing the Central Division uh, while the first game of the season is go- was going on. Uh, however, we are now a full week into the regular season, um, more than that, I guess, and uh, we got lots to talk about. It's been a, a pretty exciting start already um, for the league in general, I would say. Um, everyone has played about five to six games. A couple teams have played four, I guess, as well, um, but certainly a lot to dive into. Um and I guess let's just start off with the topic of what's going on tonight, Chase, because uh, today they are doing the first uh, Frozen Frenzy, which all 32 teams are going to be playing tonight. 16 games, that would be, and every game has a different scheduled start time. Um, this is really cool. I'm excited to see what happens. But on top of this, ESPN is doing a Red Zone style event with the NHL. And that is what I'm most curious about as someone who watches Red Zone religiously on a Sunday. Yeah, the Red Zone style event is sweet. I love that they're trying this. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I'm curious to see how it works. And obviously, while people are listening to this, they will know how it worked um, because, you know, this will be out on Wednesday or Thursday. But the nice thing about Red Zone is that obviously it's so – NFL is so – play-by-play, right? Like, there's always a break in between plays, so it's very easy to cut back and forth between games, and the red zone is a thing, where it's like you always know there's a scoring threat if you're in the red zone, whereas the NHL, because it's so free-flowing, it's definitely a lot harder, but at the same time, I do think that A, it's probably going to, I'd imagine anytime a team's on a power play, that'll kind of be like the quote-unquote red zone, right? Yes. That's the most obvious one by a lot. Yeah. And then B, what I want to see them do, because this is also what Red Zone does that makes it awesome, is Red Zone doesn't tell you what's happening. So if there's a play at the 50-yard line, it might be a 50-yard TD bomb. It might be a 20-yard completion. It might be a pick that goes the other way. But they don't cut to the game telling you what happens. So you're still watching it while you're watching Red Zone. Whereas, so Sportsnet kind of tried this Red Zone model um in COVID a couple of years ago. I don't know if you ever if you watched that. It was Sportsnet on Ice or something like that, it was called, I think. I remember hearing about it. I don't remember if I ever watched it, to be honest. Yeah. And I watched a little bit and it was okay. But the biggest problem I found is when they cut to a highlight, they would be like, okay, and now we're gonna cut to the Maple Leafs game where there's a goal and it's the Maple Leafs just cycling the puck for 20 seconds. Like, hmm, wonder what team's gonna score here. Whereas like I, I hope tonight what they do is instead of announcing what's happening, they just go, okay, and we're going to bring you to the Leafs game. And if it's, you know, it's Leafs in Washington, if Washington or the Leafs have it in Washington zone, it doesn't necessarily need to be a goal. It can either be an insane save or maybe Washington takes it the other way and gets a good chance or something. I just kind of hope it's a little more free flowing and not just like, here's every single highlight and we're going to announce exactly what happened. So it's already ruined before it happens. Yeah, I never really thought about that. I've never actually thought critically about the value of red zone, but I'm with you. That makes a lot of sense. It's, but the the free flowingness is going to be so tough to capture from game to game. I think. I don't know. I mean, like maybe that maybe they have something cooked up that I'm not ready for, but I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's going to be. That's why I don't think it. Like that's why red zone is so perfect because it. Um, is so regimented with plays, right? But yeah, red zone is really perfect. I like. I, I do think that there is an aspect of like, and and your point is very valid in terms of in the NHL, it's just a lot harder to like a free flowing play can go back. Like if you go back and forth switching chances, that's exciting hockey to watch. Where that just yeah. can't happen in the NFL. So that's where you get the break to skip to a game. I, I'm I don't know how they're going to do it. Where it's like. Oh, Tampa dumped the puck in and is now on a, on a four check. Are they going to cut away from that game to go watch like a Detroit power play or something like that? Or are they going to stick with it and, and just kind of jump game to game only during whistles? That, that's, that's what I'm really curious about. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to do it, but I, you know, I, I'm sure they have a plan, but that's what I really want to keep an eye on, see what they do. 
yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. It'll be huge for the league if it's, if it works well. Like red zone is a game changer for football, so I respect Literally. that they're trying at least, even if it fails. At least they've at least they've tried. Literally, red zone is so good that I usually do not watch my favorite team play on Sunday. I watch red zone knowing that I'll get to see them anyways. Granted, my favorite team is the Oakland or Las Vegas Raiders, and they're absolutely a dog shit organization. So it's a little different, but like. The, the peak is so high with this is kind of what, you know, we want to yep. touch on it. And even just the idea of, even if say the red zone thing doesn't work out, the fact that they, it took them saying, let's start 16 games that are in one night. And that's what caused them to stagger it is a little sad, but also I'm so excited for it. And I get the reason is yeah. that NHL wants all the games to be in intermission at one time. And yeah. The reason for that is because they want you to pay attention to the in-game analysis and commercials more, especially, right? If they know that, you know, viewership isn't going to drop because the game's in intermission or whatever, compared to where if, you you know, everyone could flick to another game, I think that's kind of the idea behind it. I just don't think that's the best way to grow your game. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense why they would do it. But if everybody wants to flip somewhere else, it's probably for a reason. 100 percent um in classic nhl fashion even their plan tonight of starting a new game at, at every 15 minutes already has gone off the rails uh the ducks and blue jackets game has been postponed to 8 30 p.m eastern due to a power outage uh, so oh, nice. yeah that was supposed to be at 6 30 and then they'll push two hours back not that that's a big deal at all um but yeah i'm i'm really excited to see uh you know how this turns out uh, the Leafs are starting at 6 p.m. It is 5.20 p.m. Eastern time right now as we're recording. So by the time we're done recording, the games will already be started. Um, so definitely, I think, something that we'll touch on a little more next week. But I, I just, it makes me so happy to see that it, it all it took was year two of a new partner in the States for the NHL to finally try something cool. Like, this is genuinely a great idea, even if it doesn't work quite how people want it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, exa- I'm exactly with you. And everybody's always like just try right like honestly i would prefer it worked but at least they're trying 100 percent um exact same way that i i feel so um yeah that'll i think be something that we touch on a little bit more uh next week but let's dive into some of the games that we actually have seen uh and let's start with i would say the definitely the biggest news of the year so far and that is an injury to the one and only connor mcdavid um, they are projecting that he'll be back within a week or two. Uh, they play the heritage classic this Sunday, which they're not ruling him out of, but I think they're not ruling him out so they, they can try and keep the hype up for the game. Um, uh, I don't think they should play him. He has an upper body injury and it doesn't sound like something you want to rush back from, but the bigger news to me is not the heritage classic. I don't care about that. It's that the Oilers have started one, three and one with Connor McDavid for most of those games are a minus seven goal differential and have not looked good at all defensively or in net. Yeah. And this was supposed to be the year that they had other things going for them other than Connor McDavid too. 100%. And, you know, I, I haven't got to watch uh, a ton of their games so far this year. Um, I only, I, I watched uh, them play, part against Vancouver and part against Winnipeg. Um, and I thought they looked fine in both. I watched the second Vancouver game, not the first one. Uh, it was about a period of it. And I thought they looked okay in both. Um, but like, I don't know. Their, their underlying numbers, and obviously it's very early, you know, I, I think we don't probably don't need to uh, preface that every time. But like at 5-on-5, five five, their underlying numbers are fine like they have a 55 percent expected goals four percentage with the seventh in the league and they're second in Corsi four percentage um so you know in terms of their actual rates it's not too bad but you know th- that probably points to them being a little unlucky um but at the same time it's going to be something where it's like okay yeah you can be unlucky for five or six games it's not that big of a deal even if you start one two and three but now that you're missing the best player in the world it's like okay well does unlucky just turn into bad that's a thing, right? Like regression to the mean is only likely to happen if you sustain the current pace or even like improve. If you just start playing like a team 
that is poor, <laughs> you know, bounces going your way is not matter. That's it's a tough spot. Now, Tricycle's gone nuclear and they have done well without McDavid before, correct? Yeah, the year he won his heart, I want to say McDavid missed 12 or 13 games and Dreisaitl absolutely popped off and that basically won him the heart by himself. Yeah. So there's still hope. I mean, everybody did say this is the deepest team they've ever had. So if there was a year to sustain a McDavid injury, I guess it would be now. Yeah, for sure. And again, like I don't think that they should absolutely count Edmonton out or anything like that. Like, yeah, they it was uh, 2019-20 he missed... Uh, 18 games, it looks like, uh, McDavid did. And that was the year that Dreisaitl won his heart. They still made playoffs very comfortably. Uh, I think they got swept in the playoffs. But um, we've seen it before. And again, if it's only seven or eight games or whatever, it is doable. But you need guys like Evander Kane to step up, who is already having some issues, uh, it sounds like, kind of with the team. Do you want to know Um, a fun fact? I would love to know a fun fact. I saw this yesterday, and I don't know if this has changed since, but... Apparently, every single Oilers line combination with Evander Kane is below 50% XG. With Evander Kane is below. And every single line combination on the team without him is above 50% XG. That's damn impressive. Yes, that is uh, incredibly impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you don't want to blame everything on one player, but... That is one player sinking it. And the other thing that probably doesn't help is their starting goalie, Stuart Skinner, is second last in the league in goal saved above expected with minus 4.67 in three games played. The only goalie worse is Ilya Samsonov at negative 4.88 in four games played. Yeah, that's that's not good company this season. No. Samsonov and, has looked rough. Yes. And then a pair of Carolina goalies are down there in Kachetkov and Antiranta. Uh, Dan Fladar for Calgary's there, who just kind of looks cooked. I like that pickup at the time, but that it just isn't working. Uh, and then you got like Phoenix Copley, who could have seen that coming. Jonas Corposalo, who could have seen that coming. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury, who could have seen that coming. And surprisingly, Connor Hellebuck at tenth worst. Yeah, Hellebuck's gonna get kind of fried. He had one good game the last game he played, I believe, but it's been it's been tough. I'll say that. Yeah, and again, it is very early. Like for all those goalie stats, it's been one to four games like Phoenix Copley is literally one game. Now he let up negative three goals saved above expected in that game, but it's, um, it, it's one game, right? Like that, that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's bound to happen. Any yeah. Game. yeah um, one shot basically. Literally. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of monitor Edmonton. I mean, the, the other nice thing for them is that their division, you know, it, it's even at one, three and one, they are like still, right there with most of the other teams. We'll get to Vegas in a second. They're off to a hot start, but like Vancouver's three and two and two of those wins came against Edmonton, but then they've looked kind of mediocre in some of the other games. LA's two, two and one. They haven't looked particularly impressive either. Calgary's two, three and one. They've been very up and down. Seattle's one, four and one. They've been off to a disastrous start. Anaheim's one and four, which not surprising. And San Jose is oh, four and one, which is really not surprising. So even with a slow start, they're not, it's not like they're obviously they're pretty behind the division lead already, but it's very early and they are three points out of second in the division. It's funny how, how much that can like what did those end up being that early on? It feels like the sky is falling. And then, yeah. Yeah. I would say the only thing like in terms of Edmonton, and again, I, I think you got to take a big picture because I, it's so early that it, there is still lots of time to claw back, but like, there's nine points between them and Vegas already, which is just, that is a big gap, whether we want to admit it or not, even oh, six yeah. games in. That's tough to make up on a team that doesn't suck. Yes, exactly. Like Vegas has gotten off to such a hot start. And let's just get to it because Vegas, Colorado, and surprise, surprise, the Boston Bruins are all kind of in the same boat here um, where they have all just started amazingly to the point where it's like, they're already getting to the point where they probably only have to play around 500 hockey to be in a playoff spot. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of insane how quickly you can secure that again. If you, if you don't suck. Yeah. Like um, even let's, I don't know if you say 94 points gets you a playoff spot, like Vegas being six and zero puts them at 
um, 82 points away from a playoff spot. So they literally just need 82 points in 76 games. That's just over 500 hockey, with, you know, including the loser point. Yeah, that's pretty achievable for Vegas. <laughs> yes, very. Um, like, it's almost getting to the point where it's hard not to. And that's why, like, again, I'm, and we're not saying like, the Boston Bruins are necessarily going to be the best team in the league again or anything. I think it is a good chance that Colorado and Vegas are both up there. But it's just, it's so important to get off to a hot start. You can obviously rebound from a poor start, but it's just not ideal. It is never ideal. Um, and, and if you can get off to a start like this where you rattle off 8 of 10 early in the year, yes, extremely impressive. That's why it's so rare. But, like, it just makes the rest of the season so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about how quickly you can cement yourself into a playoff spot just by, you know, you have 10 good games and then you don't suck. Done. Yep. And, yeah, like, Vegas has looked unreal. There's no Stanley Cup hangover right there. I think they just set... I thought I heard they set a record for like hottest start after winning a Stanley Cup or something like that. I believe that six and was pretty impressive, especially especially coming off the injuries and such that usually go with a cup. And that's the biggest thing is like everyone talks about the Stanley Cup hangover, and I don't even think it's near as much that in, as much as it is in yeah. You just have a month and a half less than every other team basically to prep for the next season. And that during that month, like we're seeing it with the team that didn't win the cup in the Florida Panthers who have been off to a bit of a slow start, but Ekblad and Montour are out for like a month because the author, the, the playoff grind was just so cruel that it, it just makes it so hard to, to bounce back next season. And maybe that still does bounce back for uh, a team like Vegas in terms of maybe this season, the wear grinds on them a little bit, but it's just, it's very impressive what they've done. Yeah. It's kind of nuts, especially with a lot of uncertainty. Like, not only do they have the cup hangover and stuff to worry about, like, it wasn't guaranteed that Stone was going to be playing full-time. And, like, I I guess they handed out contracts and maybe could have followed the money or whatever, but it's not obvious who their starting goalie was going to be and whatnot. And, yeah, no, they just hit the ground running. Don't miss a beat. Yep, just like, oh, nothing's here. Um and then the other thing in the West that uh, we definitely have to note, the Colorado Avalanche look like the Colorado Avalanche again. Um, yeah, they're back. Yes, they are third in the league in expected goals for percentage and fifth in Corsi four percentage. Uh, they've had a mixed schedule. Like they they beat the Kings, who the Kings have played really well too. Their record has been kind of mediocre, but they're first in the league at five on five expected goals for percentage right now. Um, so I think they've probably been a little unlucky, but Avalanche beat the Kings. Beat the Sharks in a shootout, beat the Kraken 4-1, beat the Blackhawks 4-0. So there's three teams that I don't think are very good. And then beat the Hurricanes 6-4 on Saturday. That's a good team, obviously. So a bit of a mixed schedule. It gets They go Islanders, Penguins, Buffalo in their next three, and then Blues, uh, Golden Knights, and Devils at the three after that. So their next six games are definitely harder. Yeah, but they're the Avs, so <laughs> I think they're I think they're just here to stay. It's like the the depth we talked about like the season preview and whatnot. They're going to be a scary team all year unless something crazy happens on the injury front. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, McKinnon and McCarr coming out of the gates to start the year. Uh, like, I just don't think anyone should have been shocked by this. No. And now that I'm looking, I'm a little surprised they weren't Stanley Cup favorites before the season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, did we I think overthink that? I, I think people probably did. Um, I think they're, if I'm not mistaken, they're already like close to their top three already now. As they should be. Yeah. I, I haven't checked that, but I thought I heard someone say that, that they are up to top three now because I did hear someone mention, I think it was on the PDO cast. It was a mailbag question of like, why are people sleeping on the abs? And they push back and they're like, well, they're second in Stanley Cup odds and like, I don't think people are sleeping on the ads abs. And I kind of went back and forth. I was like, well, I think people still recognize they're a good team, but yeah, I don't think people really realize how deep they are again after the the work they did this offseason. Yeah, like they're favored against any team in the league in a playoff series. Yeah, a hundred percent. Even think anyone's close to making me question that. No, like Vegas, I guess, but I like them more than Vegas. I would, yeah, I, 
Vegas is good, and people will hold the fact that Vegas won the cup last year, but like, I'd pretty comfortably take the Avs. Obviously, right. it's close. It would be close. Like anything can happen and stuff. But for just my, you have to pick one. Wouldn't, wouldn't put a ton of thought into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll stay in the West with uh, another topic. Um, but before we do that, uh, want to take a quick break to let you know that sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and we want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there has never been a better time to sign up than now. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash M&M, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sportsbooks have value signup offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you will automatically receive the top offer for each sportsbook. When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our podcast, uh, please visit our site, which is signupexpert.com slash M&M. Again, signupexpert.com slash M&M. Really cool site. Takes you right there. Gives you all the uh, available sports books in your region. Uh, So go check that out and support the podcast. Uh, All right, let's stay in the West before we jump over to the East, Chase. Uh, And the other big thing I really wanted to talk about in the Western Conference was just Connor Bedard. Um, I think I've I've seen people say like, oh, like people are talking about him too much. Like every, every highlight or every like thing that he does is posted on a highlight clip or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, like this is how every star player should be marketed. This is how you grow your damn game. You don't think the NBA is going to be doing the same with Victor Wembiana? Yeah, it's uh, it's Connor Bedard. Get get used to that, and it's good for the league. The better Connor Bedard is, the better it is for for hockey. One hundred percent. I just oh, hockey fans drive me nuts sometimes, <laughs> and and it's not ever like it's a very small portion, but it's just like this feels like the only league that complains that their star is being promoted too much to casual fans. Oh, absolutely. It's the. Um, it's so backwards, but like it, it is a small portion of people, but still. Yes, it, it's a very vocal minority. Um, I, I don't know how much you've got to watch of Chicago. Obviously, they played Toronto the one night. I've watched about two games of Chicago spread across their games, and uh, the talent is so clearly there with Bedard. I This is one – I was a little nervous. I figured he'd come in and be good, but – I was like, man, it's really hard to be like Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid level good right away. And and I don't know if he's quite there, but he's damn close compared to anything else that we've seen in a rookie season for an 18-year-old. He just looks so comfortable. Um, you know, he's he so clearly just got a great hockey mind in terms of it's it's almost funny watching him try to make plays with the teammates he has right now because it's like he'll just take the puck in, move with it dangle someone in the corner and it's like, oh, Corey Perry's standing out front. And like Corey Perry's been a very useful player, an, an elite player at, at some points in his career. Corey yeah, Perry's like 36 year old. <laughs> like it's just, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. It's he's, it's tough because he had a legitimate shot at being the best rookie. Like, I mean, he still is the best rookie we've seen since Matthews, but like, McDavid and Matthews came into who are his only comparables in recent history. He came into such a better situation. It would have been kind of cool to see him on a team that doesn't have to ask him to do everything. Yeah. And like when we say everything, we literally mean everything. Yeah. Um, like I'm trying to bring up what his shot attempts are now. He I was first in the league in XG. Matthews passed him, but I assume he'll be up there still. Yeah, and I'm just looking at, let's go shots per 60 rate. Let's see what that is for him. Uh, I know like the first game he had like 18 shot attempts or something like that. Yep. Um, okay, yeah, using per 60, unsurprisingly, it's a couple guys who have like one game played and then Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> um, Austin Matthews is, is up near the top there too, Jack Eichel. Um Okay, maybe I'll sort by something else. But yeah, like he's just very clearly they're asking him to do literally everything. It's like if you think you have a chance, you take that chance. Um, and he's he's the best shooter, passer, and transition player on the team. 
Yes. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't think it's wrong to ask him to do that by any means. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's just so much for an 18 year old, you know? Yeah. And yes, I mean, they're going to have to draft the help too. Like, I like Lucas Reichel and all, but he's kind of struggled to start the year. People are talking about really liking Kevin Korchinski, which is cool, but I mean, it's it's Connor Bedard. They're, you're not going to get help for him without going to the top of the draft. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I just looked, and he's still in terms of uh, individual Corsi four. He ranks first at five on five among all forwards in the league uh, with twenty six. Athanasiu has twenty one. Um, I'm sure if we expanded the power play, Matthews would also shoot up that list. Um, oh no, just kidding. That makes more sense. I was wondering why. Um, Athanasiu was so high up, but I filtered to just Chicago, so just ignore me. Um, but yeah, it, it's just I also was kind of the theory of like, obviously you will never say no to drafting Connor Bedard, but I, I part of me was a little worried that like it's like oh did they draft him like too early almost because is it going to be hard to rebuild around him? But that team's roster is bad enough where I think they did a good job of like we're going to give him like Taylor Hall to have some help, but we don't have to worry about playing out of a good draft pick for the next year or two still. Yeah. They're, they're pretty comfortable. Yeah. Um, but is 21st tied for 20, uh, 17th in the league for individual Corsi four with 26, uh, total, uh, the leader of McKinnon, Forsberg, Kucherov, Tage Thompson, Jeff Skinner, Kyle Connor, Austin Matthews, Alex Springer, William Nylander, David Pasternak. So he's up, and those guys range. <laughs> McKinnon is 39, which is absurd. Everyone else is about 30 to 27. So he's near the top of the league. And then if you sort by individual expected goals for, for some reason, Zach Hyman, the expected goals merchant, is up there, um, probably from net front presence. And he also has five points in five games at 5 1 5. Fair enough. Uh, and then Bedard is two. Matthews is four, according to natural stat trick. So, um, yeah, uh, he he's looked amazing. Like uh, nothing, nothing more to say for me, really. I think it's going to be someone where I wasn't sure where to put Chicago when we did our watchability rankings last week. Um, and I had Chicago about, I don't know. I think they were 23rd or something like that in a tier of like teams that I think are going to be really exciting to watch us start. But art is already good enough that I think I will be tuning in Chicago on like the 41st game of the year if they're one of like four games off. Yeah. Yeah. Just to see somebody that's singularly talented. It's cool that he's already looks like he'll comfortably live up to the hype. Yes. 100%. So, um, that is all I really had on the Western Conference for now. Did you have anything else you wanted to touch on? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's probably it for now. It's just a bunch of teams that have played okay, you know, up and down. Um, the only real lows, I think, have been Edmonton and maybe Seattle in the, the Pacific that we weren't expecting. Uh, and honestly, the the Central is shaken out. Pretty close to how I expected to start after five or six games. Coyotes and Predators have maybe one or two more wins I would have expected. So good for them. But yeah, the um, Predators are dominating XG too, which is interesting. But I haven't watched a second of the Predators play, to be honest. They are, which is weird because I only watched the first game of the season for them when they played Tampa. And we were recording while I was watching that. So I got to admit, I wasn't like glued to the screen or anything like that. But I thought Tampa. I played them in that game for the bulk of it. Um, and granted, they played five games since, so they, they've probably been out playing people. But yeah, I was really surprised to see how well they're doing when it comes to um, expected goals and just all the underlying possession metric. Yeah. Yeah. And Ryan Riley looks good too. It's pretty promising. Yeah. And, you know, like that's with a schedule that, you know, they got dummy by Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton's only win is a 6 1 win against Nashville. Um, they played the Kraken, they played the Bruins, the Rangers, and then the Sharks. So like they and the Lightning, obviously. So they've had like a mixed schedule. It's not like it's been all just cupcake teams or anything like that. It's been some teams that we expected to be mid to high in the standings and one or two teams that maybe we expected lower. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh all right, let's move on to the East. Uh 
But before we do that, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 has the highest quality ingredients, strictest manufacturing standards, and more. Made of 75 of the highest quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients in the world, and manufactured to the strictest quality standards. It's even NSF certified for sport, a robust certification process that involves ingredient and finished batch testing of AG1. Uh, Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right, on to the Eastern Conference, which uh, has been very interesting early on so far. Again, I don't want to take too, too many takeaways uh, away, but let's start with the Metro because I think we'll probably talk a little less about that division. The highlights are definitely the Flyers first right now after five games at 3-1-1, and um, and the Capitals last. I think we knew the Capitals weren't going to be very good. I'm pretty surprised at just how bad this team looks, though. Yeah, I'm with you there. Also, the Flyers started hot last year, correct? Yes, they did. And the Flyers, I feel a lot very, very safe in saying that is not something that is going to be very sustainable. Um, I'm just trying to look yeah, at where I'm they like pretty, the, pretty comfortable with that. Same thing happened last year, like two a team, basically. Yeah, exactly. And like the I only watched the Flyers play Ottawa so far this year, and Ottawa absolutely dominated them. Like the the it, the Philly team just looked like they were playing in a different league at some points in that game. You know, they're they're about mid pack in possessions. They are playing okay. Um, I guess the one thing we should touch on with the Flyers because I think we maybe overlooked it a little bit in the season preview. Sean Couturier looks pretty damn good. He's back. Yeah, and He's absolutely back. Yeah, and like the Flyers are like eighth and expected goals for right now as well, uh, percentage. So, yeah, they're a, they're a very solid team in terms of possession early on. But again, I just don't think they have the depth on that team to really sustain it. Um, but if Couturier is as good as he's looked over the first five or six games, despite missing a year and a half of hockey, that could be a game changer in terms of them being the 31st best team in the league to like 25th or 24th or whatever. Yeah, if if he's back, you just try to move the contract, right? Yeah, I would think you would. Uh, knowing the NHL, probably not, because it'd be like, well, we can't trade away the hometown, or not hometown guy, but you know what I mean, like homegrown guy yeah. who's been a, a star here or whatever. But I think if he has 20 hot games, you go sell as high as you can at the deadline, take some bad money back and and get out of that contract for what I would assume would be amazing assets. Yeah, and even if it's not amazing assets, you probably just do it anyways, right? Yeah, again, I think from a business percent per, uh, perception in terms of selling that to the masses, that might be harder. But in terms of if we're just looking at pure, is this the best decision to make for the franchise long term if winning is the goal? I absolutely agree that that is the move you should make. But um, yeah, that's, that's the only thing I have on Philly. And then yeah, Washington, like, dude, they look cooked washington is cooked washington exists to get over the goal record and nothing else and he hasn't scored yet this year yeah which means hattie inbound against the leaves <laughs> yes i would say that could change in 12 minutes from now when they start playing um but yeah and for the first time in his career he got held off the stat sheet in back-to-back games without a shot yeah and uh he I think this is going to be the longest golder out of his career too if he doesn't score tonight that has to be right like i just the, the shot thing is so absurd to me though this dude has played over 1500 games between playoffs and regular season and there and was he, not never got back to that game so that being held on to score yep. there was not once where he went two games in a row without registering a shot on goal so funny he's <laughs> such a freak that is genuinely absurd. The fact that it is just like you didn't have a night where it's like you get shut down on the first night and then the second night you're playing like a great team on a back to back or whatever. And it's like you just don't have the legs. Like, that yeah, you're never like happened. half injured or something. So, you know, you don't need anything crazy. And you just happen to miss. You're not in rhythm for a couple games. Nothing major. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah, you're hurt or whatever. And, you're playing a bad team maybe and your teammates score a bunch of goals. So you just don't play too much. Like I just, none of that has ever happened. That's so funny. Yeah. We'll never see anything like Obi ever again. 
No, I mean, even just looking at his goal splits for the past, can you name the last time? Actually, no, even better. How many times in the past? Let's just go his career. So he is on season 10, 12, 14, 16, 19 seasons. So in his 18 years before this, how many times do you think he had more assists than he had goals in the season? It's had to have happened like three or four times, I assume, but it can't be many. Um, we'll say four. Four is a very good guess. Four is right on. It is four. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of them was 52 goals, 54 assists in his rookie season. And then he also had one where he had 46, 46 in the second year. But like the last seven years of his career have been 42 goals, 33 assists, 50 and 40, 24 and 18, 48 and 19. Like how absurd is that? That is absurd. What a freak. Random hot take with Obi, though. The fact that he kept scoring hides the fact that he actually had one of the bigger fall-offs in NHL history. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like... 0506 to 2010, he's the best player in the league. A league that had Prime Sid and Pavel Dats. He has no, been nowhere close to that ever since. Yeah, and I think it's gotten even more aggressive because, like, even when they were winning their cup, it's like, he might not be the best over a full 82-game goals above replacement, but, like, on any given night, he could still be the best player in the league, where it's like, the past like five years, it's like, man, this guy isn't even close to like a top 10 winger and people still keep putting him on that list. You can tell how much hockey people watched immediately by that. Not only would they, you could tell they don't really watch that much. They would say, oh, you're an idiot if you don't think, oh, he's still a top five winger just because of the goal totals. And it's like, if you watch him for a second, it is very obvious this man's cooked. Yeah. And it's like, there's still, don't get me wrong. The whole argument is there's still value to scoring 50 goals. Obviously. But, like, he played so bad defensively that it puts them in a position where it's like, you just can't, like, a couple years ago, he had 50-40 for 90 um, and was, I think, a plus 8 in plus minus. And he was on probably for every empty net goal that they could score and would never have been on defending an empty net goal again. So you know that stat is completely inflated, and he still is barely breaking even with 50 goals. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's had he's had quite the career arc. It's just like even way back when he got Dale Hunter, like he's never been the same since. No, not really. And like I don't know, it's just one of those things where it's like I think people just kind of get so obsessed with looking at raw goal totals, which is hilarious because the people who usually get mad at it are the ones that are like, "You idiot, fancy stat nerds! Numbers can't measure everything. You need to watch the game." And it's like. Yeah, Ovi's 50 goals maybe aren't as impressive because he absolutely lets his team down everywhere else. Like, you idiot, like, what are you talking about? You don't know hockey. It's like, okay, well, again, there is a ton of value on being the best goal scorer on the power play still. But, like, when you're playing 18 minutes of five-on-five a night and you're absolutely doing nothing for 95% of those and actively hurting your team defensively for, like, 40% of those, it just it doesn't even out to the most effective player anymore, you know? Exactly. Like you got centers who can score similar or more points per game and just be decent defensively. I don't know what game you're watching. If you think like it is like, again, it is valuable. Also, he plays more on the power play than anybody else ever, which inflates your point totals too. Like, I don't know. I find him a fascinating player to analyze. And, like, for the power play thing, for Washington, that's smart. They should use him on the power play more than any other player in the league. But, like, that just doesn't mean you need to run him out there on 5-on-5 for all the time either. Yeah. Yeah, and if other players played 380 power play minutes a season or whatever, like Prime Ovi was doing for a while, like, they would score a lot of cool. Like, they wouldn't score as many as Ovi because he was the best at that. But, like they would score more points than they're currently scoring as well. Yeah. It's definitely a give and take game where like now, and I mean this more in terms of the past couple of years in terms of when Washington actually thought they could still, you know, maybe compete, but now it's like 
just throw Ovechkin out there as much as you want. I really don't care if you lose every game 6-3, if he gets a goal every second game or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just in terms of the past couple of years, analyzing his play has definitely been fascinating. Um, yeah. We're good. That's all I, yeah, very. That's all I really had for the Metro. I don't know how much we can take away right now. The other thing, I guess, Hurricanes are 3-3. Three and three. Their goaltending has absolutely sewered them. Uh, 28 goals for 30 against in six games. Um, just a high octane team, which I maybe didn't quite expect. Uh, and then you got teams like the Devils, 2-1-1. One, one. Pittsburgh's 2-3-0. I'm not ready to make a big proclamation one way or the other. I mean, I, the Devils, I'm still ready to say, are a very, very good team. Uh, Timo Meyer, I don't know if he has a point yet, but like, I don't think anyone has scored for or against while he's on the ice. So he's still playing effective hockey. The points will come. Yeah, Meyer will be fine. It's four games on a new team. I'm sure he'll be all right. And uh, Hughes looks like a god, so they'll be fine. Yep, yep totally agree. Uh, on to the Atlantic Division. Definitely two teams we got to talk about at the top. The Boston Bruins are doing it again. 5-0, plus nine goal differential in the five games on a W5. Um, you can only play who is put in front of you. The one thing that makes me feel a little bit different about this Boston team start versus, you know, last year where they went was something stupid like 12-1-1 or whatever. Their schedule has been disgustingly easy. Yeah, it's been a joke. And also, I mean, they got great goaltending last year, so I assume people probably overestimated how much they expect these guys to regress. Um, they have a 95.33% save percentage. Yeah, even, yeah, like that's, I mean, everyone knows that's not saying like that. Um, Their save percentage is 13 points higher than Hurricanes. <laughs> they have played the Blackhawks who were on the back half of a back-to-back while Boston was rested for the season opener. They played the Predators who I'm still not convinced are a great team, but I mean, credit to, you know, Boston. The Predators have looked probably, better than I thought they would be. Probably a little better than we expected them to be. Yep. They've be played the Sharks who are exactly as bad as I expected them to be. They look awful. <laughs> um, they are dead last, I think, in both possession metrics. And from there, they have also played the Kings, who, again, uh, they're they're a good team, fair enough. And then the Ducks, who also look absolutely horrendous. So you've played three, two absolutely horrendous teams, one very, very bad team in Chicago on the back half of back-to-back, uh, and then an okay team in Nashville, and I'll say a good team in, in L.A. So, like, it's not like it's been the hardest schedule in the world by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Yeah, a couple, couple wins in there. But... And they get the Blackhawks again tonight. And then the Ducks again on Thursday. Oh God, I hate this team. That is a weird schedule. Home against the Blackhawks, home and away against the Blackhawks within and the Ducks within like three weeks. Strange. That is weird. Don't the, most teams usually do the West all at once out east? Like if you're gonna yeah, go play like, Anaheim, Schneeks here, San Jose, and you're well, so LA they did play San Jose, Anaheim, and LA. That's their that was their recent road trick, but now they're home. So I guess Anaheim and then they're, they're, they're back. They're finishing up at Chicago today, so that that'll finish their road trip. But they started at home against Chicago to start the season. It just seems weird that they would have the the Western teams play the Eastern teams that close in succession. Yeah, that's weird. It's a lot of travel to start the season. Yeah, it is. Two games in four days between Anaheim and the Bruins, and then they won't see each other for the rest of the year. Um, But after that, yeah, after that Anaheim game, they go Red Wings, Panthers, Leafs, Red Wings, Stars, Islanders uh, for the next seven games. So again, their schedule will definitely get a little more difficult. Uh, And the Red Wings are a team that we um, definitely need to talk about. They are off to an absolute heater to start the year. Uh, Their offense is a lot of fun. Now, this is a team where I'm not convinced they are what the record shows uh, at five and one with a plus 15 goal differential on a W5 right now. Um, but I, I think I definitely maybe underestimate how fun this team is going to be. Uh, they are absolutely leading the league in shooting percentage right now. They're at 14% at five on five. The next closest team is Vancouver at 13.1. Um, so again, regression is going to come, but this Detroit team has been really exciting. And Alex Debrinkit, I mean, not a surprise if you look at his career direct trajectory versus last year, but Alex Debrinkit looks right at home in Detroit. And him and Dylan Larkin are going to be, are quickly becoming like a duo that are must watch TV. Yeah, they're 
they've been absolutely electric. Their power play is clicking at like 50% or something absurd too. Yep, Dabrinkit shooting 48% right now, again, which is going to come down, but the fact that they've started off like this is amazing. Um, I, I'm still a little skeptical of how good this team is because they are 27th in Corsi 4 percentage and like 18th in expected goals percentage. So, and and I just, even with Dabrinkit, who is obviously a very, very, very talented player, I don't think they're a team built to just outscore their bad possession metrics like a, a prime Washington team might have been doing for a couple of years there. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. But I, I mean, credit where credits due, right? Like it, they have been phenomenal to start the year. I think the Brickets have like eight goals, nine goals already. Like, which is just absurd considering they played five games. Yeah, eight goals, twelve points already. Snagged them in a couple of fantasy leagues. Yeah, pretty happy I mean, to see that. And just to, and obviously, you know, team playoffs is much more important, but like to our point, talking about how easy it is to make playoffs now, if you're to bring it, like trying to get back to even 50 goals, you basically just have to score at a pace of like one goal every other game for the rest of the year. Yeah. Is yeah, what you're really close to. 40 goal pace from here on out. You, know, you can hit 50. Now, I will say the early season thing helping to make the playoffs, I don't believe that to be true in the Atlantic. This division is going to suck for everyone involved. Yes, this is already turning into a murderer's row of no free nights. Like, if the Wings are even marginally better than we expected, and so are the Bruins. Yeah, this is going to hurt. Now, maybe the Sabres are marginally worse, but, like, Panthers are coming back at some point, I'm sure. Uh, the Lightning actually do look cooked by like their metrics, but let's be honest, Lightning are coming back. The Leafs are still going to be good. The Senators look electric. The Canadians look competent. The Wings look better than expected, and we expected at least competent. And the Bruins look like they might actually be that 103-point team that markets had them at. So that is not going to be fun. Yeah, like it's just insane. Um, and even the Sabres, like they again, yeah, they might be a, a tad below what we expected, but I think you know they've been relatively unlucky as well. Like watch part of the the Montreal game last night where they lost three one, and I, I thought they played better than Montreal. Uh, Montreal played okay as well. Like it's not like they absolutely caved in Montreal or anything like that, but they just they couldn't finish their chances. And I get they're like a middle of the pack team in terms of possession, which is kind of where I expect them to finish in the standings too. And yeah, you mentioned. Florida just needs to get some some health back on that blue line. I think they'll be okay. Tampa needs Vasilevsky back. Uh, yeah, Tampa, I'm very quickly. Fried. I'm getting to the point where it's like I am going to start writing them off as like even the second tier of cup contender. I still kind of had them going into the season there because I was like, it's Tampa. I can't write them off completely, you know. But like that depth is so bad. And the stars are finally starting to show a little age as well, I think, too. Yeah, they're looking at it. And I know, like, Hedman came back from the injury and he had the monster playoff game, but Hedman was, like, legitimately bad last season during the regular season at times, which is the second time in three years I think that's happened. Now, both were probably because of injury, but you're now at the age and with someone that size that, I mean, you don't necessarily expect that to just disappear anymore. And if... Like that, they're so dependent on just a couple people that even one of those cogs go, the whole machine fall apart pretty quickly with the way the rest of the depth is bad now. Yeah, absolutely. Like everyone in Ottawa keeps saying how stupid they are for letting Nick Paul go, and it's like, man, like I like Nick Paul as a player, but the only reason you're seeing him this much is because he has to play in Tampa's top six. And there's a reason yeah. they're two, two, and two because of that. And it's not, I'm not saying it's just Nick Paul, obviously, but like Nick Paul getting that much of a role and being that much of a focal point for Tampa's offense is part of the reason that they are not what, what they used to be. Yeah, exactly. Nick Paul scored 32 points last year. And he'll probably score like a 40 point pace by the time this year's done. Like, I've not seen many players as overrated as Nick Paul recently, actually. People, because people talk about it on the playoff runs all the time, and it's like, yeah, God bless Nick Paul. Tampa Bay has won in the playoffs for a couple of reasons, and Nick Paul was not high on any of this list. It was Kucherov scoring at a hundred point pace, Stamkos point, 
um, Hedman and Vasilevsky. Like, let's not let's not overthink this, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And like again, Nick Paul's off to the hottest start of his career and is on pace for sixty-seven points. It's not like this is like he's not on a hundred and ten-point pace, and we know that's not going to continue anyways. You know, yeah. like this is yeah, a exactly. this is a guy who has literally averaged. 30 points over the past two years and was a 20 point player before that who, and, and some of that I will admit shortened season, stuff like that. And also I don't think Ottawa gave him a fair shake either. Like he's a very useful bottom six player. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, like people are treating it as like the Ottawa centers got rid of like a number one right winger or something like that. So guys pump the brakes. Yeah. I don't think I'd want that contract if I was Ottawa. If I had the choice. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's such a low AAV, you could probably find a way to move off of it or like LTIR it with no problem. But like, if assuming he plays out all seven years, it's not net net positive value. No, like he's 29 at the end of, by the time you're going to the playoffs this year already. Um, 30-year-olds like Nick Paul don't tend to be the ones that age well. No, <laughs> not at all, so... Career third uh, liners aren't known for just beating the age curve. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this team kind of rebounds. Uh, yeah, the, the scariest thing with Tampa so far is that, again, it's not like they are outplaying teams and just getting absolutely let down by their goaltending. They are getting outplayed. And, you know, their goaltending hasn't been amazing by any means, but um, it hasn't been... To me, it's not the number one issue. It's not been good. Don't do not get me wrong. They're like twenty seventh in the league at five on five save percentage. But um, the more concerning thing is the teams that they are down there with that are around them are like L.A., Toronto, Carolina, Edmonton, who are all very very high up in expected goals percentage and stuff like that. But have just been sewered by goaltending. This is a mixture of both, where it's like Tampa doesn't look great, and also their goaltending isn't good for now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we can also even look the um, like they're second last in XG. Yeah, and this like, is the team we just took finishing out of the equation. He's the second worst team in the league in goaltending. Yeah, exactly. And like this is a team unlike Detroit that I do feel confident saying even you know with their stars and, and the or the lack of depth that their stars are probably going to finish higher than what their XG generation is. Just with you know Kucherov, yeah. Stamkos, obviously point, but. There's only so much that can carry you. And for Tampa, it's not about making the playoffs as like a wild card one in this division. It should still be about trying to compete for the Stanley Cup. And playing like this is not going to put you in a position to go very far in the playoffs. So and who knows? Again, I I will say there is probably something to having a top three goalie in the world behind you for 68 or 70% of your starts to a guy who is legitimately not was barely an NHL backup as your tandem, basically. <laughs> like um maybe they play a little different when they have Vasilevsky. It gives them a little more confidence and that higher risk actually leads to more expected goals generation and and maybe just makes them play better. But also maybe this is just who they are because they're an aging team. And we have seen this with lots of other Stanley Cup teams that were really good that aged out. Yeah, it's bound to happen to them eventually. Yep. Look at Washington that we just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Now LA Yep. Yeah. LA, Chicago. Yeah. Even Pittsburgh for a little while. Pittsburgh, and... Pittsburgh missed the playoffs last year. And they're not immune yep. to that. And even Pittsburgh, when they had, you know, Crosby at 28 or whatever, were struggling to get out of the first round and they missed the playoffs the one year. And it, it took, you know, a new GM coming in and just reloading the depth completely to get them back to where they were for those mid 2010 runs. But um, so it's not like I'm not burying the Tampa Bay Lightning or anything, but this is a pretty concerning start for how much you can at least take out of five or six games. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. We're probably lower than most people on them going into the season, too, so you take marginally more out of it, but still, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I, uh... I'll be curious to see how it goes. Um... I don't have too much more on the league as a whole. Do you? I don't think so. The only thing I wanted to say, and I don't really have much of a much of a take on it past um, 
I can't believe we have to talk about this briefly, but the NHL announced today that they are unbanning um, pride tape and and tape of all kinds for that matter. Uh, in Did they ban the other NHL kinds NBA. of tape? <laughs> well, they, they banned everything. That was the thing. So they banned, we didn't really talk about it on the podcast because it was so absurd to me that like, I just, I, I couldn't get, I, I just, to me, there was nothing that we were going to say that makes a difference. And I don't think there is still, but they banned pride tape. They banned, that include like camo tapes as well. Um, any other like non-black and white or single colored tape, right? Yeah. And it's just the most absurd thing. Like this is the most absurd league in the world, man. Oh, it absolutely you, is. You want to talk about people being snowflakes. The fact that a rainbow colored stick is going to make you upset. That makes you the quote-unquote snowflake or whatever you oh, want to call it. 100%. That is the most infuriating part about all of this. It's like, if you really think people are soft because they don't like being discriminated against, and you're going to pout about some fucking tape, like, unironically, grow up. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just absurd. So, um, shout out to Travis Dermott, who is on a one-year, two-way contract with Arizona and was the first person to... Uh, defy this ruling and use the pride tape during the game. Um, and shockingly enough, as soon as one player did it, instead of suspending him or anything insanely stupid like that, they went, oh, this is really, really dumb and reversed the decision. So, um, and it's I like a, it's so stupid because now we're in like the stand for nothing fall for everything. Like you let a third pairing defenseman on the Coyotes overturn this decision now as a league. <laughs> Why even make the fucking decision if Travis Dermott can make or break? Yeah. Obviously, why make it for moral reasons? There's other reasons. But, like, it, it's even more pathetic. Now you've just pissed everyone off. All the people who aren't homophobic, the good human beings who think pride tape should be allowed. And now the assholes that you are catering to are going to be mad at you, too. That's just an awesome situation. Yeah. And, like, who cares about the assholes? But still, it's just... Classic mismanagement from the NHL. Um, and just, I just I, again, just so stupid, man. So stupid. Like, whose idea? Who, who's sitting in? It had to go through multiple people in a boardroom to be like, this would be a great idea if we just ban pride tape altogether. And multiple people were like, yeah, great idea, Gary, or whatever. Like, come on. Yeah, it's just it's, cowardly. It's yeah, just cowardly. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just that's why we didn't mention it before. But I'm I'm glad at least they reversed it. Uh, in their statement, they didn't mention anything about them being in the wrong or anything, um, which I'm not shocked. But again, just kind of the classic NHL thing to do: be like, "Oh, we're reversing this." Don't ask why it was there in the first place. But we are reversing it, so everyone can shut up now. Um, but I don't know. I, yeah, that's all I have. So stupid. Yes, very, very, very stupid. So, um, bit of a dark note. Well, not a dark note. Like, at least it got reversed. And again, I, I hope that, you know, I, that this at least, the fact that someone in the league was there to stand up, you know, and, and defy the ruling. And also that people did very vocally go out against banning it in the first place. I hope that at least just helps someone who isn't sure, you know, about the whole hockey is for everything, everyone thing. Again, I, I completely understand why, but I hope that, you know, helps change people's mind that there are good people who enjoy this sport. Yeah, that is true. So, um, I think that's all for us this week. Uh, as always, you can find my stuff at lastwordonhockey.com. You can find Chase's stuff at eliteprospects.com. Chase had his first post go out this week. It was a really good one uh, about the Russian League and prospects from Russia, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Chase? Is there Russia? Russian hockey is not uh, not nearly as good as it used to be. And that was the, the thesis of the post across the so, board. Definitely go check that out. Uh, you can uh, find us on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff at CMHockey66. And uh, definitely check the podcast out on Twitter as well at MNM Hockey Pod. Um, we will be, again, trying to post some more content and just stuff there and, and interacting with people. So uh, toss us a follow there. Uh, and again, if you want to get started with uh, sports betting, you can go to signupexpert.com slash MNM. 
use any of those links. You'll get the best deal on any sports book that you are using in your region. Uh, and it also helps us a lot. So uh, definitely check that out if you're interested or uh, if you have any questions, reach out to either of us. So uh, thank you everyone so much for listening and we'll talk to you all next week. 